Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church to do lifestyle ministry. We pray it will help you as well. So we're going to talk about how to confront compassionately. As we went through this morning talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is judged not so he may not be judged, and what do we do to be intentional with other people? Hopefully, uh, I've had a lot of good follow-up conversations with people saying, hey, I've never thought about things that way, but it, it's good to kind of unpack and to think through. Uh, it, it is different if you just read the entire paragraph of what Jesus is saying, right? He's not saying be annoying and point out everybody's mistakes, but he is also saying that we need to care about each other enough to deal with our planks and also each other's specs. And so uh, he's not calling us to be harshly judgmental. Uh, He's wanting us to be intentionally confrontational, though, and we must be concerned enough about the body of Christ to address sin when it's present among us. So if you have your scriptures, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Um, We're going to turn there in just a minute uh, to Matthew chapter 18, but to to do so, let's talk about just a few things. Um, how many of you have ever had somebody, and we won't have testimony service right now, but just, just to think through, have you ever had somebody call you out? I mean, just say, I love you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something to you right now. And typically, we don't walk away going, you know what, that felt really good, right? But do we need it? The answer is, of course we do. Uh, we, we need those people sometimes in our life, and sometimes the hardest conversations are ones that we definitely need somebody to point out to us. And so um, as we're thinking about how, how to, to do this and, and to walk in that truth, to think through well, what we should do before confronting other Christians, here's a couple things I want us to, to think uh, about. Uh, our natural bent is to be easy on ourselves and hard on everyone else, right? Kind of trying to lay that groundwork today. But our natural bent is to be easy on ourselves and hard on everyone else. We have excuses. I was tired. I had a headache. I've had a long day. My mom did this. My daddy never did that. Easy, easy, easy. Justify everything on me. But when it comes down to somebody else, well, you should be able to do better. You know, you have no right to do that. And we typically have a very low tolerance of other people's mistakes. Uh, we want a lot of freedom, a lot of margin in our own. But our natural bent is to be easy on ourselves hard on everyone else. If I grasp how much work I still have to do on myself, I probably won't prioritize working on your issues. Um, Typically thinking, I've I've got enough stuff that I need to worry about than prioritizing any other body else's issues. There's stuff that I have to work on myself. Now, if I, I love you, I do want to get down to the place where I can help you. But deep down, sometimes, and I want you to think about this way, sometimes the best help that I can do for someone else is working on me, right? Sometimes the best help that I can do for somebody else is actually working on myself. To be able to step back and look and to think clearly because um, I have known sometimes we get to a certain place where we're so worn out on life, we can't help anybody anyway. We're in no shape to do it, right? And so sometimes the most important thing to do is to make sure you're, you're taking care of yourself. Then you can start working on how can I help someone else out? In the passage we looked at and throughout the rest of the scripture, Jesus encouraged intentional accountability and discouraged oblivious hypocrisy. So us to be accountable with one another, to be intentional, to think through what we need to do, but he's discouraging oblivious hypocrisy. We're going, well, I'm not going to to address the the log that's sticking out of my own eye. I'm just going to focus in on the speck in your own eye. Accountability has kind of been, I would say, a buzzword probably about 10, 15 years ago, maybe more. And um, I don't think it was a word that was used probably too many decades before that. It was kind of kind of in and out. And we, we talk about it sometimes in church. 
When I mean accountability is this, is that it keeps someone accountable, right? In the sense of there should be people in my life who have the right to be able to get into my stuff, okay? They have the right to say, let me keep tabs on you and to make sure I know what's going on. So um, every week, um, at least for me right now, it's Thursday morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, I have a standing phone call with what I call my accountability partner. He is another pastor who lives in another part of the state. And we call each other at the same time every week unless something major happens. And I have the right to ask him very challenging questions, and he has the right to ask me very challenging questions. And you go, well, that sounds really fun, just to ruin everybody's week, right? No. <laughs> what it's about is to say, you told me this was a struggle for you, and I've been praying for you, and I gave you some advice, and did you follow it? Have you done what I asked you to do? And there's somebody in my life to sort of help me walk with it. Why accountability is so important, if you've ever tried to work out or lose weight, you know how much more difficult it is to hit the snooze button if you know somebody's waiting for the gym, at the gym for you? If you're going, well, I'm going to go and nobody else is going to be there, it's easy to hit the snooze button. If you know somebody, your friend's waiting there for you, you go, oh, I better get up. Why? Because it keeps you accountable. It's a good thing. And so Jesus is going to encourage us staying accountable to each other in more things than just your physical health, but your spiritual health. But he's discouraging us being oblivious and hypocritical towards each other. So when you get to, before you ever confront somebody else, before you ever call out something that you see in their life, answer this question. Is my desire in pointing out sin to spotlight it or stop it? What is the desire? Do I want to spotlight the fact that you are messing up or am I trying to stop it from continuing to happen? And so to do this sometimes, it can be this, what is the goal? Um, folks, once again, kind of jokingly this morning, but I did say it, that I think some people really enjoy confrontation probably too much, right? But I would say most of us don't, we, we, don't, we try to avoid it completely altogether. Because we feel like, you know what, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, I don't want to damage the relationship. And this person's going to say, yeah, but what about all your stuff? But deep down, I know this. There are things in my life that need to be addressed, and there are people that I see. And so it's not to spotlight it, it's not to embarrass. It's to be able to say, how can I help stop what's going on in your life? Now, we look at why should we, or why we should confront Christians as other believers. Um, Christians shouldn't permit our sinfulness to endanger our witness. So if we think through it, we should permit any type of sinfulness to endanger our witness to other people. So as the body of Christ, we have a goal to get the gospel to the nations so that people in Greenville County and beyond know about Christ. But if we don't deal with our own issues, then there becomes a problem to endanger our witness. As I mentioned uh, this morning uh, and this evening with, with a... Um, prominent pastor and, and speaker who passed away recently and his ministry kind of going down in, in flames, that happens more regularly than I would care to admit it. It just happens very often. It happens even here in this community. You have someone that does something that is so shocking that you go, oh no, and what does it do? It hinders the witness of the church. Uh, it hinders the work of the gospel ministry. Does it stop it? No, you can't stop the kingdom of God going forward completely. You can't slow it down though. And so sometimes what's happening is we can't permit someone else's sinfulness to endanger the big picture stuff. So I would rather have somebody be mad at me than on my watch I'm slowing down what God is doing among us or trying to slow down that gospel witness. Christians ought to be more concerned with the whole's holiness than the individual's happiness. Okay, So when we confront one another in the body of Christ, we're more concerned with the whole's the groups, right, our holiness, collective holiness, 
than we are any individual's happiness. So I'm not after just what makes you happy or not dealing with it. I want to get down to what is necessary in your own soul. Uh, and, and the reason being here, we ought to know by now that unaddressed sin leads to further devastation, right? Unaddressed sin leads to further devastation. Typically, we do not sin in some way and say, you know what, that was enough. I think I'll scale back a little bit. The way that we're wired, if we enjoy something that's wrong, we want the next time we have the opportunity, we want to do that or a little bit more. That's the way that we're wired. And so with this unaddressed sin, it's always going to lead to further devastation. And so why should we confront other believers? Just as was mentioned today, James 5 through 19, 20 says, My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, there have been many times in my life where, unfortunately, I've had the work of confronting people. And sometimes it's a family member, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's a church member, sometimes it's a pastor uh, in, in different situations. And, and I can think through that it's never fun. I don't enjoy it. I don't feel like it's my spiritual gift, but I do feel like it's my responsibility. And so if I know about a sin issue and I fail to address it, what am I doing? Well, I'm, I'm possibly allowing a multitude of sins to continue on. And so I, I can even remember a time in my life where I confronted someone in a sin and it had to do with um, just an immoral, immoral relationship that this person was engaged in. Um, and I confronted them. It was ugly. It was justifying what was right because of this and this and this and this. And, I mean, we went for hours upon hours. Uh, in my house at night, it got heated. We were yelling at each other. You know, at one point, my wife's thinking, I'm hearing you know, noise upstairs. Do I need to call the police? And I'm like, everything's fine, you know, whatnot. I mean, it just, but it, it got it got very heated, and it went on for a long time. Uh, by the time uh, this person left at, like, 1.30 in the morning, uh, get out to their car, and they realize they're, they're on empty, and they don't know if they're going to make it to the gas station. I thought, oh, great. So... So I go in and wake, you know, manned up, said, hey, i got to go take this person to the gas station. Um, I'll be back. Don't worry. I haven't got shot yet. And so we, we, we go to the gas station, uh, get him filled up, get him on his way. And uh, he said, you know, uh, tonight was very helpful. I appreciate you loving me enough to say some more things. i got to process it. And he said, do you think it would be okay if, you know, I come to your church on Sunday? Because he didn't come to our church, didn't even live in our city. Um, he says, would it be okay? I'm like, we don't card people at the door. Anybody can come in anyway. You know, he's like, well, I'm just asking would it be okay. I said, absolutely, you can be okay. He goes, well, I, I might do that. I don't know. There's not a lot of places I'm welcome at. I said, fine, whatever. And I'm, I'm so sleepy at this point. I'm just okay. I'm driving home, and I thought, now what am I preaching on, on Sunday? And I went, oh, no. <laughs> because the passage of Scripture, I was preaching through Colossians, the passage of Scripture we are going to be at Sunday was the everything we were just talking about. And I thought to myself, hey, if he comes, this is going to be awesome. But if he also comes, he's going to think this is a total setup. Okay, total setup. And he's going to be angry and he's going to get mad. So I'm about to start the sermon and I see him back there in the back row. I thought, okay, Lord. And um, person's never been to our church ever before. So y'all, this is funny. You can go back and probably listen to it. But I started out the sermon that day in a way I've never started it out before. I said, you know what, folks? Isn't it interesting that the people collectively gathered together in this room will never be together again just like it? 
Next week, some of you may not be here. Some weeks, some other people are going to be some new ones here. And at this week, we're at this passage of Scripture with these people together. Nobody more, nobody less, not these verses before, not these verses afterwards. So I just want us to stop in the holiness of the moment, realizing God's providential pointing you at this moment, at this time, and let me read this passage to you. And I'm just eyeballing the guy in the back row as I'm reading it. Like, uh-huh, come on, come at me, bro, right? And I... I'm sure the rest of y'all were somewhere in the room and I was preaching at you, but I was yelling at my friend on the back row. I am a sweaty, absolutely exhausted mess at the end of it. As soon as the sermon's over, he comes running up to me and he says, I have one question for you. Did you know that you were preaching that? You know, when when I asked you that that night, I said, I was so exhausted. I, I wasn't even thinking. And I said, but I want you to think about this. I didn't plan this sermon. God did. And the very day that you're here, and you've never been before, probably never going to be after, it's here. I said, do you understand what that is? And he starts walking away. I grabbed him. I said, don't walk away from me. I said, God is telling you one more chance, bro. Wake up. Out of all this, all the things we could be talking about, any church in the world you could have been at, you're here today talking about the exact stuff that's going on in your life. Don't you? God's telling you one more chance. He went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just clenched y'all, walked out of that church. And what I can say, unfortunately, is did not follow biblical counsel. Right now, um, majority of his family will not speak to him. Burned so many bridges, reputation so tarnished, still rebellious to this day. Can I tell you something? If right now, if he would repent, and that means I blew it, and I'm sorry, God, and I'm sorry to all the people I've hurt, that's a different story. He's still defiant, bowed up at everybody. He's right. Everybody else is wrong, right? And what I see is that that passage at the end of verse 20, a multitude of sins, just continuing, multitude of sins, because he never addressed those things. So that's why this confrontation thing is so important to do. Even if it doesn't work, you know what happens, at least in my soul? I don't feel good about what's going on there, but I can at least say this. My hands are clean. I did what I needed to do. I warned. I tried to make sure that people didn't do what it is. Um, you think about all those different times where somebody comes along. And, and have you ever you ever read the, uh, or watched the news when something horrific happened? Somebody did something horrible to other people. And everybody goes, no, well, I mean, yeah, so-and-so was strange, but no one ever said anything. You ever watch those news things? You go, well, could somebody at least said something? If somebody would have said something, could have avoided all this stuff, right? That's the reason why we do this, why we confront. So now let's get down to the how we should confront Christians, because that's I know where, where you're thinking, right? Jesus provided a simple yet straightforward process to confront sin within the church. And so that's why we're at Matthew chapter 18. I referenced it today in the sermon, but I want us to, to look at it because Jesus makes things so abundantly practical and clear here. And if you turn your uh, worksheet over on the back side, we'll kind of fill in the blanks here. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, starting uh, in verse uh, 15, if your brother sins against you, right? If your brother sins, it says, against you, go and tell him what? His fault between you and him, what? Alone, right? So nobody else there. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, 
Tell it to the what? Church. church. Oh, now we're getting real. All right. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him to be you as a Gentile and a what? Tax collector. Oh, those are people you don't like, right? What? Now, let me, let me, I'm going I'm to unpack those verses here, but I, but I want to reference 18 through 20 really quick. Because let me tell you how 18 through 20 are typically used. So for last year, with church attendance kind of being, whoop, you know, tanked all across the country, right? Guarantee there's been some pastor who said, oh, there's only a couple people here today, but where two or three are gathered together, right? This is what they're going to say. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So if you've ever been in a small church service and somebody goes, well, there should be more people here, but you know what? Where two or three are gathered, God is there in their midst. And that takes great comfort. But this is in the paragraph about what? Confrontation. This isn't about uh, worship gatherings and low attendance. Verse. Look again at verse uh, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Context is a very big help here, folks. You know what this passage is about? If the church, a body of believers, if only two or three call someone out and they refuse to listen and they say, we don't see fruit in your life and they're making that call, God is saying, I am there among them in that midst. Biblical confrontation and accountability, Jesus is saying, I'm in the middle of that. And if it's only a couple of you, but you have come together in a holiness of moment and out of concern for someone you love and you address it, I want you to know it may just be a few of you, but you've got my back. I've got your back. And I am literally in the room with you. That's a little different passage or a little different way to interpret it than the way I typically have interpreted it, right? Hey, when you're confronting someone in Christ, I'm there with you. Go get them, right? Okay, now let's think through this because what he says is important. So the first step, if you have someone that you need to confront is what? You do it in private. If you know about the sin, you approach the sinner privately. You do not post about it on social media. You do not try to be passive-aggressive. You do not gossip about it. You do not gossip about it in the way of a prayer request, but really serves as gossip. If you know about the sin, you approach the sinner privately. Now, this is also a big challenge, right? Because this is typically what I will get in the line of calling that I am in. Pastor... I've heard this about one of your members in your congregation. So you're like, is it me? I'll tell you later. Um, Pastor, I've heard this about somebody, and I think you need to confront them. Okay? I can do that, but can I tell you the way of Jesus? You know what he would say to do? Instead of me confronting them, guess what? You do it. Oh, I can never do that. I don't want this person to know that I know. Okay, fine. So how am I going to tell them that I know? Because it's only a couple people who know the information that you know. Can you just tell them what the Lord told you? No, 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 not going to do that. <laughs> not going to use God's name in vain. Not going to lie. No, no, we, no but, but I just don't feel qualified to do it. Now, here's what needs to happen. You need to do it. And if they don't listen, yeah, bring me along next time. I can do that. I got no problem. But the first step would be you calling it out. Now, now uh, why would this be this way? Can I tell you that a lot of times when I have to confront someone in sin, you know what they don't want to do the next Sunday? 
be a part of church. Because a lot of times I'll even see somebody I've had to have difficult conversations with. And once again, I'm not aiming it at somebody. I'm like, here we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Deal with your issue and you're here. Okay, they're like, who's talking about me? I didn't, I didn't write the mail. I'm just delivering it, okay, right? Like, you have to understand this. But here it is. Now they feel like, oh, when I'm in church now, I know that guy knows everything about me. How many times people say, I don't want to come and talk to you because then you're going to know about my stuff. And I'm like, your stuff is JV compared to everybody else's stuff. Is ever all of us have stuff, okay? Nobody here is without sin. And they go, yeah, yeah, but I know. What is Jesus saying? If you know about the issue and you're close enough to them, you go to them one-on-one and say, I love you. Nobody else knows about this. I haven't talked to anybody else, but I want to tell you something. I'm worried about this. There's sin in your life. And I'm worried that if you don't address it, what's going to happen, right? So um, what, what's the danger in doing that? What, what's the potential fallout if you do that, folks? This is a question I want you to answer. If, if you tell someone that you love, I love you, but that's not going to cut it anymore, and I'm worried about you and sin, what could possibly happen? You lose them as a friend, right? Turn their back on you. What else? Blame. Blame you. Yeah, right? Share it with others. Share it with others. Do you know what so-and-so did? They're talking about my stuff. And they, it cause all kinds of issues, right? So, so we stay hindered. Jesus says, look, it doesn't have to be crazy. You, go about, you know about sin. You approach the sinner privately and say, I love you, and I want to tell you something, right? Now, when that doesn't happen, next step, he says, what, verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Right, So that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is why it's so important. <laughs> this is an ongoing joke among pastors. I'm going to let you know behind the, the, the curtain here, okay? That typically one of the things that literally causes most pastors to roll their eyes is say, Pastor, people are talking. And I want to say, besides you and your spouse, or anybody else, or is it just when you say that, it's just like, well, I'm not going to tell you who, but people are talking about this. Like, can you give me a name? Oh, no, no, they told me not to tell. I know your wife said not to say, but can you tell me who's talking? No, 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 they, they, they didn't want to let you know, but I'm just like, people are talking. I'm like, well, you bring those people to me, and it can confirm that it's more than just you right now. That's what Jesus says. Bring along two or three witnesses. Bring along somebody. Just bring it so that, he says it, it may be established. It's not just a rumor. It's not just gossip. This is the issue, and here are the people who love you enough to, to call you out. I welcome that stuff. I need it in my life. So the second step is partner. If the first attempt was unsuccessful, bring a partner along. Bring somebody else in the room with you. So it's not just you and somebody else yanging back and forth, right? Arguing about this. No, it's not. I think it this way. No, no, no. I'm going to bring somebody else along. Maybe, maybe two other people. So it's either two or three people now. And you say, I love you, concerned about you, and I want to address something. And this is stuff that we see. Now, you see the weight's a little bit different now, right? It's not just one person that you've had some bad blood with. It's not just a couple. It's like, oh, there's a couple people who see this. This is now being more established as evidence. And so if the first attempt was unsuccessful, bring a partner along. Hey, Best case scenario, you never get to step two, right? Best case scenario, I love you. I see this issue. Man, you got to stop. Oh, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. Thank you so much. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Oh, praise the Lord. If they don't listen, you say, let me see if I can bring somebody else along. Now, uh, if that doesn't work, what does verse 17 say? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. <laughs> Some of you are like, I am changing my membership as soon as this gets on. Well, so what happens here, it starts off at private, starts, next step is partner, the third is public. 
If those efforts fail, bring it before what I would call the gathering or the church. That word there is ecclesia. And the reason why I'm using it is because of we got to unpack what the, the weight of that word because it's not what we typically think. When Jesus preached this or shared this teaching to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, was there a church building ever constructed yet at this point? No. They were still meeting in the Jewish synagogues, right? Meeting in homes. So when you and I read that passage in 2021 where it says, bring it before the church, how do we typically interpret it? Pastor stands up on a Sunday morning and says, hey, everybody, I want to let y'all know something. I want to tell y'all what's going on in Brian's life. Brian isn't here today because he's a slacker and probably in all kinds of sin. I want to call Brian out today and let me tell you what he's been up to, right? Okay? That, that's, that's what we think, right? Because, you know, that's the church. It's a Sunday morning worship service. How many of you would go, man, I, I don't know if I'd want to be at a church for long, but the first couple of times I get some popcorn and watch how this thing goes. Like, okay, as long as they're not talking about you, it, it might be interesting, right? But if that happens, what, what, what goes on in your mind? Uh-oh. What if I'm the next point of conversation, right? So, so the reason why I say this, the word ecclesia there, the word ecclesia in the Greek is the word that we get church. The word that we use as church means group, gathering, or assembly. It does never meant building. It is never meant, at least in the original context of what Jesus said. When Jesus spoke to a group of 12 disciples about bring it before the ecclesia, he meant group or church or gathering. I believe that what Jesus was saying is, folks, if y'all find out something about the disciple named Philip, you know what you do? Bring it to the church. And you know what that meant? The 12 disciples. Bring it there. That was the gathering. That was the assembly. At that point in time when Jesus spoke these words, there was nothing that would look like what we have right now with hundreds of people in a membership role scattered among four services. Okay? What does that mean? Are we not a church? No, it means we are a church, but it's a very different context. So the way I say this is, um, and there are many churches today that will have business meetings once a quarter. And in addition to saying, hey, this is where our finances are. Here are the new people who have joined the church. Here's a list of people who have been baptized. And here's also the list of three people we are disassociating with as of tonight. So-and-so is in an affair. So-and-so embezzled money. And so-and-so has been a bad, a strange father. And we have approached all of them, and they are not repentant. And so, therefore, we are taking them off our membership role, and we see them as not believers right now. Everybody firm, say I. That happens in churches around here. Now, if you've never been at a part of a church like that, you go, thank the Lord, because I don't want, you know, like, when is my name going to be on the roll, right? I, I, I'm not, I'm really not being critical of that. Um, I have seen a lot of hurt done in that, that, that vein. And I don't think it's the most helpful thing, especially when you get to a place of hundreds of people in a membership role. Um, so, so what do you do? If I think about what the original words was of Jesus, the original context of what he said it, I think this still can be done in the church. But you know where I think it happens? In groups, in smaller pockets of the ecclesia. So, so this means... There were 12 disciples originally when Jesus spoke these words, right? There are a couple hundred outliers out there, but there are 12 disciples. I think Jesus was saying, this sounds like something right here that some of us would know about, right? The, the term that we use in the American culture 
is not ecclesia. We call this an intervention, right? Intervention has taken this from the Bible and kind of put their stamp on it, and we don't say it. It's get all the most important people in the person's life in the same room and say, we all see this. We're not blindsided by this. It's not a couple of us. We love you enough. This has got to stop. We call it an intervention. Jesus called it being the church. Okay? Now, can people that don't know Christ have an intervention? Yeah. Can it work? Absolutely. <laughs> Any wisdom that comes from Jesus can be used and applied in a lot of different ways. But what is he saying and how does this come down to? Because when we do church membership classes here at the church, we talk about church discipline. And some of y'all go, oh, do we do that? Yeah, we do that. Absolutely we do. I'll give you evidence of, of what happened. This is, um, I don't know, months, a year ago or so. Someone came to me and said, Pastor Travis, we have someone in our group, our gospel group, who is endangering himself and others through his continual act and sin. I went to him, took him out to breakfast, and said, I'm worried about you. I'm asking you to stop. He said, I'm fine. I'm not doing anything. I can't control. I'm in complete control of the situation. I can stop whenever I want to. And he says, no, you can't. And he didn't listen. See what happened? He brought two other guys from the group. And the next time they approached him and said, let's all go to lunch. And they said, brother, we love you. If you thought it was just him seeing this, we all see it. And we're trying to tell you, it's got to stop. You've got to stop. And the Kennedy said, Pastor Travis, you didn't listen to step number one, private. Step number two, partner. So this is what we're thinking. And we want to make sure you're okay with this. The next time he comes to gospel group, we're going to throw away the lesson for the day and we're going to address him as a whole. And we're going to say, we love you and we're worried about you and this has got to stop. Is that okay? And I said, I'm proud of y'all. Absolutely. This is biblical. This is exactly what needs to happen. So that day he came to the group and they said, uh, we got a lesson plan, but we're not going to use it this week. We need to talk about you. We've been praying for you. We see the sin habits in your life, and it's destructive, and you've got yourself in trouble. You're endangering your family, and you're going to find yourself ending up dead if this doesn't stop. And we love you too much. We're willing to make this awkward. We're not angry at you. We're not kicking you out. We're, not, we're, not, we're just saying that we're, but something's got to give. You know what happened? At about 60 minutes of that conversation, he finally gets so frustrated after trying to tell them that he can handle it and no one's buying it. Nope. If you could handle it, you could have stopped the last six months and you hadn't done it. I can stop it anytime I want to. Prove it to us. I don't have to do anything to show you. I'm going to do And just going on, going on, going on. Finally, he just got up and he ran out. Was that a good thing? Let me, let me tell you what happened. A family member called me and said, I don't know what y'all are doing at that church, but I need to tell you what's happened. I thought, oh gosh. I said, well, what's the deal? And he said, I am so thankful to actually see someone enact lovingly church discipline because it frustrated him. He was angry, but it's the only way that this person is going to wake up and see the truth. Now, that story is still being played out right now. I don't think I've heard the final chapter of it. I'm praying for it, but I go, this isn't something I could say the name and I don't know if anybody in this room would even know the name and that's good in my book I don't feel like it needs to be on a newsletter and the email to everybody I feel like we handled it as the church I feel like they asked and said pastor are we okay in doing this and I said absolutely if you want me in the room I'll be there and they said we feel like he'd be more awkward can we just handle it and I said go with it go with it and I said when he comes to me if he does I'll know where to step in and, and folks, when, when, I, when I share that with people who are wanting to join Rocky Creek and say, this, 
as what could possibly be if you're in a gospel group that go, I won't sign up for one of those, right? And I said, how many of you would like to know that if you were in such danger that you'd want somebody to tell you? If you're about to throw away your family, wouldn't you want somebody to stop you? Folks, this is what we need. And, and so Jesus puts a very simple approach on this. So if you know somebody that you love that is deep in sin, my recommendation to you, be follow Matthew 18. Go in private, one-on-one, love you, not condemning you. I can totally see myself getting in the same situation. I'm not saying you're worse than me. I'm just saying right now, I got the log out. I see a speck. I want to address it, right? They don't listen. Bring somebody else along. We love you. It's not just me. It's a couple of us. And in some way, what's that public? For some folks, they go, what if they're not in a gospel group? Who are the people that are close to that person in life? Get them together. Get them together. Have that intervention, so to speak. Let's get everybody in the room and say, how can we address this? And at that point, if this person walks away, they're walking away, knowing that the people who love them dearly are all agreeing in this. And guess what? Just as you follow Matthew 18, if they agree upon it, guess who also agrees on it? Jesus. Jesus is in that moment. So this confrontation is something that's so important for us. So for what should we confront Christians? Let me go through this really quick. Um, we don't want to be policing Pharisees that confront every time someone messes up, right? We don't want somebody, you missed your quiet time. <laughs> you said a bad joke. Got, we, we got an intervention plan. Oh my goodness gracious. Like that, that would get uh, very interesting, right? We're not policing every time somebody messes up. Not every time someone shows weakness. Not every time someone does something wrong. We're not running around, not throwing a flag, not pulling somebody over. That's not our job. So it's not policing we're not being pharisaical we're not confronting someone at every single deal if you've ever been in a relationship with someone who tells you every time you mess up that's exhausting right it's exhausting like sometimes you need to be what galatians says sometimes we just got to bear with one another right we just got to endure through some of it and we got to overlook certain things but if you see a christian sinning in a way that is habitual or seen as harmless you need to address it so we're not talking about a one-and-done thing. We're not talking about just a slip-up. We're not talking about somebody doing something stupid and regretting it later. I'm talking about something that is habitual. You do it all the time. It's your regular go-to as a thing. Or you confront someone or you see something that you know is sinful and that person thinks it's harmless. That's when you know you need to step in. That's when you know you need to step in. Not a one-time mess-up. A Something that's going on on the regular or someone sees it as harmless, that's when you need to address it. And to do this, the most challenging dynamic is to speak the truth in love. Doing only one part of that is easy, folks. It's easy to speak the truth or it's easy to speak in love. It is hard to speak the truth in love. Does that make sense? It's easy for me to say the truth. You wrong, you wrong, you wrong, you wrong. I, I can do that, right? I can come at it with two guns blazing. Everybody's wrong, right? Or, or be in love. Oh, it's okay that you do that. Everybody messes up. Oh, I love you. That's easy. To say, you are wrong and I love you and I'm going to be here with you, that, that's a totally different thing. Ephesians 4.15 says it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That is the goal, that we are to speak the truth in love. Other scriptural reminders I will give you here. Uh, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. It's better to call somebody out in the open than it is to hide your love for them. Proverbs 12.1, whoever hates reproof is stupid. Just you gotta tell me where it's at, right? Um, 
We are actually called to rebuke constant sinners in the presence of all so that it causes everyone to get scared they might be next. Did you know that? 1 Timothy 5.20. I'm going to read this because some of you are going to think I'm making it up. 1 Timothy 5.20 says this. As for those who persist in sin. Did you catch that? It doesn't say they sin one time. They persist in sin. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. <laughs> I like the sound of that, right? How many of you know that sometimes, if you had more than one child in the house, sometimes calling one child out and something called everybody go, uh-oh, he on restriction. I want to do something this weekend, right? It causes everybody to stand back. So it says, if something, if they persist in sin, if you call it out in some type of group, you know what that means? We ain't playing around here. We love Jesus and you too much to allow this to continue. So sometimes calling it out is an important thing, and it causes some people to go, uh-oh, I better get my stuff together. I, I'll, I'll just say this. What was so in, in, incredible was um, uh, recently in, in our gospel group, somebody said something in our prayer time that I thought, oh, I wouldn't have said it that way. Oh, do you know how that probably hit so-and-so sitting there? And I'm going, do I call this out? Do I call this out? So I'm just praying and I'm thinking, and I'm looking at the person who it should be offended, and they're just kind of smiling and, and nodding their head. And I thought, okay, I think everything's fine. And then as soon as we get out, the person who said it texted me said, I am such an idiot. I just thought about when I said that how it probably affected somebody. Should I call them and apologize or should I just let it be? I said, no, you need to apologize. Oh, is that going to make it awkward? No, it's going to be a great lesson to them to know that you own your stuff. I mean, the best lesson you have. I said, all you got to do is just call and say, I was an idiot. I can't believe I thought that. I wasn't saying that offensively. And you know what? It brought those two together. It was a beautiful thing. It wasn't an awkward thing. It was a beautiful thing. So sometimes so I thought to myself, okay, if this continues, am I going to have to say something like, hey, by the way, we don't do this kind of stuff? No, it, it addressed itself. So that, that was a good thing. You also need to know pastors are commanded to rebuke with all authority without allowing the rebuke to disregard you. Titus 2.15, that sounds awesome, right? But it says, hey, if you rebuke someone, it's not like, well, I don't have to listen to that. No, you, you can say strongly about what God's word says to do and that we shouldn't back away from it. Proverbs 27.6 says uh, this, uh, faithful, or I don't have it on the list, but faithful are the wounds of a what? Friend to come alongside. Um, this is, oh, I, I skipped. This is what I skipped. Um, this is not our own opinions, but when we point to the word of God when sin is present in order to rebuke, right? We get to the word. It's not you saying, well, I don't like this about you. Whenever you confront somebody, folks, I'm telling you this, you need to be able to have the Bible open when you do it. That, that's the most important thing because you know what happens? If you were calling someone out and saying, you know what, you get on my nerves when you do this. Well, now it's you versus them. If you say this, can I, can I read you a verse of scripture? Let me tell you why this is a problem for us. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to all those who hear. Brother, when you talk, you are not building other people up. You're tearing them down. And I'm saying that on the authority of God's word and not my opinion. You see the difference there? I'm coming at you from what God says, not what Travis says. And that goes a much uh, better and longer way. Uh, as mentioned, faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27, 6. If your brother sins, rebuke him. But if he repents, forgive him. That's the goal. Luke 17, 3, 4 says. If they do and they, re they repent, that's awesome. Forgive him. Move on past it. And then this last one. Someone who is wise will love you if you rebuke him or her. Proverbs 9, 8 through 9. If you rebuke someone who is wise and you call them out and say, I love you and I want to point this out in your life. And if they change, guess what? If they're wise, they're going to love you for it. They're going to say, 
Thank you for making that awkward, right? Thank you for loving me enough to make intentional about this, that you would do this for me. Folks, um, nobody in this room or outside of this room have arrived yet. Amen? We're not there yet. We need each other. So no matter how messed up your storyline is, this is the deal. Even on my best day, I need people in my life willing to call my bluff and willing to get into my life. So, Father, tonight, as we think about this passage, thank you so much for the way that Jesus said that. And for us to think through confrontation, how we need to go to someone in private or possibly bring a partner along or then to bring it in a public matter where people who are very close would know and to address the situation. We do this not to be police, not to be pharisaical, but because we love your glory and your righteousness too much to allow us to enable each other to sin and to disobey and to cause a bad reputation for the work of Jesus among the city and among the nations. So God, help us be people who don't gossip, who don't slander, who don't uh, just be judgmental and hypocritical. Help us be people who address our sins and help us address others as well as we do so in love. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Equip Podcast. Make sure you get your notes and all of the downloads that you need to continue to be equipped for the work of the ministry. You can get all the resources for this episode or other Equip episodes at rockycreek.church.